0: We'd like to thank you for your time, welcome you to the CRA Doctors It's Time to Win Now webinar presented by Securitech. I am Dave Jeffries, Chief Marketing Officer for SecureTech. First, some quick housekeeping items to address that you undoubtedly hear every webinar you attend, but do need to be said. All attendees are on mute during this webinar, so if you have questions, please utilize the chat capability in your attendee panel at any time during the presentation. Any topics or questions you have that aren't answered or covered as deeply as you may like during the body of the presentation can be gone over during the Q&A afterwards. I strongly encourage you to send in your questions for that Q&A during the presentation. The presentation itself is scheduled to last about 30 to 40 minutes. However, as always, our team will remain on the call for the full hour in order to answer as many questions as possible. Those we're not able to answer during the allotted time will follow up with you and answer directly via email or a follow-up call. This webinar is being recorded and along with the presentation slides will be made available to all attendees. Now, I'd like to introduce you to our uh, usual cast of characters. Uh, we are pleased to have back with us, Kevin Bachman, the CRA doctor. Now, for those of you who don't know Kevin, I'm sure that's very few of you. He is indeed recognized as a top tier screening industry consultant who has become known as an operations focus specialist. He has agreed to take some of his valuable time today to provide insights into what he's seeing in today's background screening marketplace and how with all we've had to endure and overcome in recent months, uh, the background screening professionals can win now. We also have with us Daniel Hartberger, Account Management Specialist with SecureTech. And last but certainly not least, we have with us a Securitech's own Vice President of Sales and Business Development, Chad LePond. And now I'll turn it over to Kevin, for the presentation.
1: Chad, Dave, Danielle, hey, thanks for that introduction. And for everyone listening, guys, it's time to get off the map. It's time to brush ourselves off and it's time to start winning again. You know, I'm, I'm so excited to be here today because it's, it's really important that, that we begin to reshape our thinking, our, our mindset as, as we hit the summer months and start looking at the fall and the winter seasons. And, and as we get started, I'm going to inject something uh, real quickly into the conversation I want you to be thinking about. Just given that I, I think it's one of the most meaningful shifts in the last few years and, and will only accelerate as a result of COVID. And, and listen, I'm not about to say this just because SecureTech asked me to, to speak to you on a webinar today. I, I don't say anything unless I believe it. Um, but you've you heard me talk about this find a friend model I've been espousing the last. 12 to 18 months. I, I feel pretty firmly about this, you know, who you partner with, whether it's, whether it's secure tech, but just the idea of who's in your corner and, and right now that, that really means a lot. I've, I've said before, my personal experience with secure tech, it's a, it's a positive one, but it's a bit ironic because I never used that much personal years ago inside of the CRA and it was to my detriment, quite frankly, but a lot of my clients have and, and currently do. So my, my exposure to their suite of solutions, their Added FCRA and quality products. You know, we think of automation, it's not just screen scraping, it's, it's a host of solutions for CRAs. Uh, anyway, you know, I've, I've done other webinars or podcasts where I talk in more depth about changing fulfillment models and, and the principles, not only as the industry evolves, but as COVID really reshapes us. My objective isn't to sit here with a captive audience and wax poetically. But it's to say this change in fulfillment model, I just see it accelerating. and it's it's one of our space's biggest emerging shifts, and I'm just sharing these observations with with everyone I'm working with these days. So things for us to consider as, as we move forward. So okay, let's let's jump in. <clears throat> what What will we cover today? Homework. We talked about a few things last time, and I made a couple recommendations. We're gonna check in and see if you did them. Who do we listen to? Who do we talk to? There's, there's good ideas and and voices outside of our building as well. It's okay to open our minds to some ideas we didn't come up with ourselves. Winning comes in a lot of different forms. We'll talk about what that looks like. New business compared to old business. Your current client base is not enough to get you back to where you were six months ago. We're going to talk about how how to go hunting. It's time to fight. We can't lick our wounds anymore. Uh, find a friend, I spoke about this a, a minute ago and, and, and more to come, sales and marketing. A few ideas that support this idea that it's just not current client volume bouncing back. What are you out there doing in the marketplace? What are we talking about? How quickly or slowly we move. You know, Anyone who thinks recent upticks in volume last couple of weeks is a straight line path back to where we were, I think they're gonna be in for a surprise. And, and this last point I remain extremely optimistic about. It's, you know, it's our own abilities to convince someone that we're the partner of choice. And if I were running a CRA today, which I can't, mostly because I've been teaching my seven-year-old how to carry the one as his kindergarten teacher for the last couple of months, uh, the ideas we're, we're discussing today are gonna position you to do the exact same thing. So, but before we get started, uh, a brief introduction to those that, that, like Dave said, I may not have met yet. I've served in the industry for about 20 years. Currently, I'm a consultant to a variety of companies in our space, helping them provide more consistent, compliant, accurate reports while supporting their service and sales teams to improve revenue, retention, profitability. I also work with employers to create programs and partner with CRAs that best fit their needs. It just gives me a greater understanding of of what end users want and and the knowledge levels about their program and, and how that fits within our industry. My point in sharing that there is I feel really fortunate to see a 360-degree view of each stakeholder, the relationships, the capabilities. It's that perspective that lets me address these topics from a couple different vantage points. I'm also involved in PBSA and have served in several different leadership capacities. Currently, I'm a member of the Background Screening Credentialing Council, which oversees the accreditation program. I sit on the Industry Practices Committee and its steering committee, which provides hundreds of screening companies with guidance on operational and compliance matters. And Pam DeVada and I launched and co-chaired the inaugural Litigation Avoidance Committee way back in the day. Lastly, I host Background Check Radio, a podcast on iTunes to serve the screening industry and the best way to run a profitable CRA. Please subscribe, comment, or rate it if you need trouble falling asleep at night. (laughs) All right, have we done our homework? I'd like to start by revisiting the recommendations and solutions I proposed the last time we talked. Have you or your organization created different forecast models at the following drops in business? Have you upped the number of account reviews you or your team have done to to get in front of more clients for a variety of reasons, which we'll talk about more later? Have you reviewed your policies procedures under the accreditation standards, if you're thinking of applying? If if you're already accredited, have you reviewed this with an eye toward your next uh, desk auditor or onsite? Have you focused any increased energies on training, teaching, developing, auditing your team or your processes? Are you fertilizing or watering those partner relationships? Are you current on your bills or are you holding on to more cash than than you need to? And and lastly, did you review your personnel and identify which team members might be worried about you and thus look for opportunities with other companies? Because I'll tell you, it is an awesome time to hire and a lot of companies are looking to take your best people. So... That brings us to our poll question, and as as Dave launches this, you know, listen, no is a perfectly good answer. This is a judgment free zone here. Nobody will know how you responded, um, especially if you missed the last webinar. You know, it's not going to be used against you. And and while the answers are insightful for the group, it's it's also good for me to know, as it just lets me highlight or focus on a particular situation. If I if I
0: get a little more insight into whether you guys are doing it. So right, We got a, so a few answers coming in. Let's uh, leave this up for just uh, about ten more seconds, and then we'll close it out. All right. And let's share the results. All right. Yeah,
1: yeah that's fine. fine. And and you can you can bring that down. We have oh, maybe. Um, you know, only a fifth of our attendees so far today have kind of weighed in. I, I know we have uh, probably over 100 people on this call. So that's that's fine. Um, and, and again, we did it a couple months ago, but um, I, I appreciate you guys sharing that feedback. You know, some of these things, uh, we're gonna talk a little more in depth, um, especially the account reviews and, and how to strengthen some of those relationships and, and pay attention to that staff risk. So, um, okay, the answer they're, they're not all inside your building, right? there's no shame in recognizing how you feel. There's, there's no shame in saying it. Transparency is good, right? We, we just need to pair that with an action plan. One of my lifelong friends once, once told me, he said, Hey, regret's like a suitcase. All you got to do is put it down. This isn't your fault, guys. This, this hit us all, you know, along the lines of regret is guilt. Don't beat yourself up over it. If you're good enough to fix it alone, you've been good enough to prevent it alone. That's why sessions like this are so important. You know, who are you, who we listen to, who we talk to, it, not just me, but you know who we share and collaborate with in the industry. That, that's, that's all part of the process of, of making things better. It's, it's okay if you don't have a defined roadmap with every contingency and solution and problem resolved. It's okay to have a little uncertainty, two steps forward, one step back. It's okay to try something, recognize what does or doesn't work and, and modify, as long as we just keep moving forward. And, and the, this last point, I I want to spend a minute or two on. I've always said that one of the best parts of doing what I get to do is I get to sense out a lot of businesses and because I really respect confidentiality, my clients have a lot of trust in what they show me, but they then get to benefit from it because of the work I do with, with other clients. And, And this points about you, not, not about me. So, so stick with it. But I know that if you line up 10 different CRAs, I guarantee there are five different ways those 10 CRAs are doing criminal record searches. And and I know it because I get to see it. So the work I do, you know, hey, did you think of this? Hey, what about that? What do clients say? How does it work with your profit and your cost models? It's all predicated in part on that ability to observe what works and doesn't for others. So my, my point is I bring this back to everyone listening. We really need to share more. A CRA in Maryland and a CRA in Washington aren't necessarily competitors. And, and there's a lot that, that, that Washington State CRA can learn from talking to that shop all the way across the country. You know, a, a shop that thinks they're at risk by talking operational fulfillment procedures with, with another shop, you know, I, I, our challenges are probably a little bigger than that. Um, even extend some of these ideas to sales support or service strategies. You're not going to lose your best client because you gave someone else a sales tip in exchange for their tip on how to choose the right alias names. I, I promise that's not going to happen. So, all right, victory. And, and I'll spend time later talking about this in, in more detail, but victory is a bunch of different solutions, not one magic bullet. That's a panacea to, to all of our problems. On the upside, side, victory is an absolute commitment to getting it right before delivering a consumer report. On, on Background Check Radio, on the podcast I riffed for, 10 minutes or so on how accuracy is the new turnaround time. And without doing 10 minutes of it here, I'll tell you, I'm a lot less concerned right now about my employer client leaving me because I'm two hours slower than before or two hours slower than that competitor claims. Especially if my client's volume dropped and it's not as go, go, go as it used to be. But I am terrified right now that my client who's just gone through this major shock to their business, who's been told to look at their vendor spend, who's 18 months behind on due diligence because they were busy, whose volumes dropped by 50%, individual searches and issues are now looked at a lot more closely because they have more time. So I'm terrified that clients will bounce if I start messing up or if I was messing up at the same rate that I was last year, because. it's not going to be overlooked as as, as much as it was last year. So yeah, I I need my ops team really passionate about getting it right. My support team. My support team has to be strong enough to overcome any hiccups, either with current orders or possible competitors sniffing around. Uh, A shop advertising a super high fulfillment rate in a county that they claim to fulfill, but we still have a, a closed county because we know our method is a real search and that method might be an outdated data repository search. Our team has to know these things and more important, in the moment, they need to win that conversation. Our sales team. My sales team has to want to get after it. My sales team has to smell blood in the water, our competitor's blood. Your sales team has to know everything I just said about volume and mistakes and vendor spend and business conditions. My sales team has to and should be the most fired up people in the building. If your team's down in the dumps because volume is down, they they need to recognize what I recognize. That we're in a we're in a time where there's no better as an employer, there's no better time to evaluate new providers. If I'm an employer a few months ago, I'm not bouncing in the middle of my busy season when my volume's risen for three consecutive years. It, it's too risky. But now, Sure, I'll watch that demo you keep asking me about. Lastly, my leadership team needs to be thinking. Too many leaders do. There's a lot of people who can do that. But sometimes in our space, we're all background checkers on this call. Leaders love doing background checks so much, they kinda neglect the background check business. And, And that's coming home to roost right now. What's another small, simply meaningless way to win? keep your office door open. The team's looking at you, do do they see confidence? Do they see worry? And Yeah, it might be a virtual office door right now, but do they see an accurate view of the landscape? Is your tenor too optimistic, too pessimistic? All, All of this matters. All right. The sooner we understand that business in the future won't look like business in the past, the closer we are to winning. Your old business will not come back to February 2020 levels. It just won't. Now, for some of you, Kevin, you're wrong. And 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 for some of some sectors, it's booming. But across all at a macro level, we're down and we're down by a healthy amount. And and even for these sectors that are booming, right? What happens when the increase in hires was to accommodate a certain business condition caused by the pandemic? And that certain business condition, it, it won't exist in three months. That that volume's gone. Remember, 40 million people have lost their jobs since March. And we got all excited because last month, two and a half million new hires, which was awesome for those two and a half million. And millions more are are temporarily spared because of PPP loans. What about the other tens of millions? So let's not fool ourselves by getting caught up in the headlines right now. So this means... My path to victory is not waiting on my clients' business conditions. My path to victory is not solely new products. My path to victory is not a huge technology spend or cash fronted for another integration, hoping that link up will create more leads. The path to victory is kind of all of those things. It doesn't mean open seven new business initiatives all at once, but we need to recognize that there's a number of opportunities for us to claw back out of this, some of which we've talked about already, a lot of which we'll continue to talk about. But again, there's there's no one silver bullet. All right, what do employers want? What don't they want? Listen, I love continuous monitoring. I love employee rescreens and return to work screens. As a background checker, they are very useful risk management tools. But if I'm leading the CRA, I'm not putting all my eggs in this basket. I'm not banking on an employer who lost 50% of their revenue, rescreening employees who they furloughed for 50 days. I like continuous monitoring. And there's a number of fine providers in our space, including SecureTime. can help provide these solutions, but I don't believe a sizable amount of a CRA's new revenue in the near term will come from convincing employers to spend money monitoring 100% of their workforce when they're already pushing back on the cost of screening the 15% of their workforce that are new hires. Again, some are going to buy. I think that's great. My point here is to say if you're outlining new sources of revenue and you're assigning percentage probabilities to each, I don't think these are gonna generate the overwhelming amount of the new screening dollars spent in our space. New clients and current clients. Let's fire up those sales and marketing engines. And I I don't mean go out and hire a bunch of people or start spending a ton of money on digital marketing campaigns. I mean, just think and understand, like I said before, there's gonna be a lot of employers doing vendor searches later this year. So what do we need to do to position ourselves as experts for when those searches begin. And instead of thinking of your go-to-market strategy as determining what you have and finding people want to buy it, think of it as what pain do people have <clears throat> and how can I help them fix it? What information is at our disposal that we can use as weapons inside the sales process? Many of you listening don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars budgeted for digital marketing campaigns. You don't budget hundreds of thousands of dollars for sales training. so. I think spending 10% of what someone else spends, hoping to get 25% of what they get, isn't a great action plan for us. And it's not even just the money you spend, but the time you spend trying to make it happen. So instead, I'm I'm a big, what if, what's different guy? What KPIs, what client testimonials, what processes, what techniques do you have that you can communicate that makes you different, unique, special? Are you going to be the 37th CRA telling me your turnaround time is 24 to 72 hours? Are you going to be the 37th CRA telling me you're an industry leader? I count these things, by the way. I go to websites and I count how many people say these things. I'm not just pulling this number out of thin air. You know, Are, are, you, are you going to tell me, like everybody else, that you leverage technology, that you're a partner of that ATS, you focus on streamlining the, the hiring process? Now, for most of you listening, you're probably saying to yourself, oh, crap, I do that. So I'm not saying you're 100% wrong. I'm not saying it's totally wasted effort. I'm not. But my point is to urge you to look at the landscape. You know, when I I work with a a new shop, one of the first things we do, we look at their individual strengths, the solutions they help their clients solve. And then we see, is that woven into their sales and marketing collateral, their sales rhetoric, their talking points? And if it isn't, we build it. So my, my point is, I'm encouraging each and every one of us here to undertake that same effort. So what are you great at? What problems do you help your buyers solve? And how can you communicate it in a way that doesn't sound just like the other guy? Because I'll tell you, if the other guy says the same thing and has a bigger megaphone to say it, or a bigger wallet to buy more megaphones, we're gonna get drowned out. So we wanna show, not tell. And here's three examples that come to mind. Instead of my turnaround time is fast, it's I help companies quickly identify the right people for the right positions. Instead of I help you make better hiring decisions, it's I reduce the money wasted by hiring the wrong people. And I think at that point, going forward is going to be really relevant as, as companies look at their spend. Uh, last one, instead of I leverage technology, it's. I use the best, most efficient screening tools, which reduces your risk as an employer. So we're talking about how we do in a specific way that shows them a problem they have is solved by working with us. I'm I'm, I'm never afraid to have difficult conversations with employers, and and maybe that confidence is a little too high, but here, here's why I feel that way. I'm a big believer in the power of words and how we say it. I, I, two degrees in communications. And I was a radio news reporter before becoming a background checker 20 years ago. So I, I believe in what you say, how you say it, your tone, the rate, the pitch inflection in your voice, much like I'm doing right now. I, I think it makes a meaningful material difference that goes beyond just the words that you say. And, and because I believe in that power, I'm, I'm not scared to say no to a client's request if I, I think it places them or us at greater compliance risk. You know, when others might wring their hands wondering if a client's gonna leave if they, they say no, you know, it's about the how, not 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 the whether. It's not about whether we say yes or whether we say no, it's how we do it and, and how we phrase it. I'm not afraid to fight for a price two dollars higher, which increases my profits and margin. If I'm presented with a competing price from a prospect, and if I know that competitor might provide them with a a different product, a subpar process, less support. I'm comfortable having that conversation. So I I fight for for what I believe is right and what I believe benefits me because I, I believe in the power of our voices. You know our in our ability to communicate. You know we can create and harness this this power rhetorically. And you know kind of my, my last thought on this, you know, I I firmly believe the lack of attention that's paid to what we say and how we say it is one of the most underutilized least expensive, most powerful, and profitable solutions in our space. You know, it helps you get more clients. It helps you keep more clients. It deepens that trust your clients have in you, and that creates a mode of protection, which is really important right now. And it can be taught to your teams, but I I worry a little for those that that look inside and and don't see that strength. Machine selling. Those who listen to me frequently know I – I think there's a lot of different ways to build an empire. So here's an argument for those that sell a little differently. Machine selling is just a generic term that I assigned for a a less customizable process, maybe a take it or leave it product offering. I'm not saying a shop that isn't nice, but maybe a shop that says, hey, this is what I want to focus on and just creates the tactics to execute it. Maybe they offer five different options, but that's it. Rather than a shop that ties themselves into a pretzel trying to accommodate Every little permutation of each client's ordering package, which listen, I've done before, I'm still a fan of, and I think there's a right time and place for it. So, you know, neither of those two approaches I outline is necessarily right or wrong. As long as the sales material, marketing collaterals, talking points, et cetera, are all aligned, marching to the same goal. This, this machine selling approach, you know, when the buyers are of a similar mindset or perhaps in a similar industry, that can work very well. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm preordained to the other to that customization. But a lot of buyers do kind of appreciate the simplicity, maybe a little more streamlined approach. It, it reduces the paradox of choice, that the ironic observation that the more options we give some, someone as, as buyers, the harder it is to make a decision. That increases friction in the process and can lower conversions. So whatever sandbox you live in, again, it's okay. Just chart your course and, and make sure tactics are aligning to the strategy. Okay. A few of these things we've we've talked about a little bit. The current economic conditions around us. Don't get too down if and when conditions approve, but you're not immediately a part of it, right? That's okay. Don't feel too good if you're blazing away, but doesn't seem like the rest of the world is because you might... Come back to Earth a bit. The, the example I said about um, our, our, our increase in volume is due to a specific business condition caused by the pandemic. You know? Whoever has Instacart is rocking and rolling right now. And when there's a vaccine, they will not be rocking and rolling at the same level, right? Th- things like that, that that are gonna are gonna change a little bit. Okay, but the micro, the micro is us. What's in front of you? That's really all we can control. Yeah, we're talking about sales and marketing. We're talking about support, fulfillment solutions here. And and those are techniques that do create a better long-term future. But don't get too far ahead of yourself on what those initiatives bring. They may and likely will bring some good, but it's a future good. Let's remember to also think about what's good right now, what's good tomorrow. Don't jump over six nickels to get to one quarter. It, It all adds up. Doing more of what you do best refocusing. It's, it's not retreat. Doubling down an idea or something that you believe in but might, have, might not have had the capacity, the wherewithal, the courage to do before. Don't run from that. It's not failure if you don't spend the next 30 days marketing on LinkedIn the same way and saying the same things everybody else is doing. If you feel you have something new and different to offer or to say, do it. Freedom to care less, this kind of seems very ironic, right? But what what I mean here is, this is a time to revisit a host of internal processes, procedures to see, frankly, if you still wanna do them. That client who asked you to call 10 times for every employment verification, and maybe you rolled that procedure out to other clients because the one who asked you was a really big client, and it's, it's easier to just teach consistent verification process rather than ask your team members to do it two to three different ways you know maybe that company's a cruise ship and that volume's not coming back anytime soon so maybe we look to strike it from our offering or maybe that cruise ship wants a discount and you can give it to them by no longer doing a process that's three times harder than everybody else's for the same price And, and if they buy it they're gonna get something that's that's cheaper, faster, and noticeably of the same quality. You know, they, they might like that. So these are things we should kind of think about. <clears throat> I, I really believe we're on the cusp of a shift in thinking about operational fulfillment. I think business owners are starting to recognize the risk of employing a lot of people in-house full-time, and they're hoping their current client business plus their new client business, adjusted for the probability of sales success, meets the estimates of their financial equations, so they can go ahead and profitably employ people in-house a to produce consumer reports. The alternate solution is this pay-as-you-go model, which I personally was opposed to 20, 15, 10 years ago. I wanted to do everything inside of my four walls in Cleveland, Ohio. But over time, starting five, six years ago, solutions are becoming better. The costs are becoming more competitive. Again, whether it's SecureTech or other fine providers in our space. I, I believe leaders are coming to recognize there's a flexibility, a nimbleness, a profitability advantage to no longer trying to do everything in one roof. Over the last couple of years, we've seen a movement toward it. We've seen greater adoption. And like a number of things in our COVID landscape, we're going to see it accelerate and create higher adoption rates, not just in our space, but in, in, in all of industries uh professionally. So it, it's okay to feel differently. It's okay to change your mind. I'm, I'm a great example of it. Um, and again, I'm saying this in a lot of different places, not just a, a webinar I'm doing with with Secure Tech. I, I started feeling and talking about this a lot differently beginning three, or four years ago. And, and again, COVID's accelerating it. Okay, this next concept's near and dear to me. I have a lot of strong vendor relationships in this space. Many of us listening have those same relationships. I am a friend to everyone. A lot of you guys are friends to everyone. But what I mean here is people want and value relationships. We want human connections and and vendors to me has, has always kind of been a bit of a dirty word, kind of like a chief revenue officer. I, I get it, and I understand it. It's just when you're on the other side of the table, it seems a little sleazy. You know, I, I think of a vendor. A vendor's interested in in taking money from your pocket and putting it in theirs. A partner? Yeah, a partner's interested in both of our wallets, yeah. But they're interested in our wallets because it's a way to fatten theirs. And, and that's fine. I'm not judging it right? It, it has to work for both parties. But if it doesn't fatten their wallet, let's go back and think, is it, a, is it a partnership? And and the example comes to mind, I think, of ATSs. And I'm not calling out an ATS relationship, just, just the concept. We need ATSs. They're sticky. They're great. Our clients want them. But an ATS is a partnership with, with 30 of our competitors. And we all know it's not putting equal amounts of money in all 30 of our pockets. You know, it's, it's Five or six tops. So it, it's just hard to have 30 different equal business relationships and, and partnerships. But, but a friend, a, a friend cares about you. Yes, they, they benefit from your friendship, but, but it's really about you. It's a servant leadership mentality. When SecureTech and I plan a webinar, we always talk about making a cash register ring, not mine or their cash register, your cash register. We, we think of it, and I encourage you guys to, to, to adopt the mindset and think hey, we don't get anything unless we care about the other person first, that, that servant leadership mentality. Yes, benefits to all eventually accrue, but they accrue in larger amounts because of that mindset. Uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Okay, technology. Winning going forward means reviewing the entire business. Some of us are background check companies that do background checks. Some of us are technology companies that do background checks. And some of us are companies that try to do both. And I've said it a hundred times. I don't care who you are. I I pass no judgment. You can build an empire a lot of different ways. If you have a well-thought-out strategy and have designed effective tactics to drive toward that, you can win. But... This environment is also a time to revisit those paradigms to see if they still apply. If you're on a proprietary system, you're spending a ton of money on IT, development, labor, is that still the right play? Those costs don't decrease 40% because your revenue decreased 40%. But I'm not judging a proprietary system model. There's a lot of good ones out there and a lot of shops on them. The flip side, If you're on a third party platform, but your client base or or changes to your product line that that, that you wanna make, can they still be supported well on the current system? Are there business intelligence tools? What solutions do you have that enable you to dive inside of your business, look at your data, learn things you didn't know, test current assumptions? How can we use what we have to not only assemble and deliver consumer reports, but on the business side, observe, identify, and, and collect ways to run our businesses better. I'm, I'm fond of saying, <clears throat> building an empire isn't just about beating up vendors on, on costs and throwing money at a tech solution. But when we review the business, right, we, we can't ignore what will be a, a future six months ago that, that, that we didn't expect six months before. We just have to consider these things. And, and lastly, how do you get your information? Are you running into a court every day? Are you are you scraping or using automated search solutions? Is a combination of both. Are you building the pipes yourself to get that information? What's that IT cost? Is it is it better to buy it from someone who's using those techniques the same as you, but but they front the money and they worry about the upkeep? A couple of things to consider is as, as we look at the state of our business going forward. Okay. A few of the themes we've we've covered here already, uh, but a couple of insights that, that I want to share. Hope's not a strategy. You know, we're, we're talking about winning here, but it's also about minimizing losses. I did my first COVID webinar a um, hundred days or so ago in in mid March, and I outlined some some real here and now solutions as we entered the crisis. And hopefully, some of you implemented the solutions. If you need to go back and, and listen to it, it's. It's on the podcast or, or ping me and I'll, I'll shoot you the link, but I, <clears throat> I, I reiterate here. Waiting and hoping and walking in the door the same way we did in February, that, that's not gonna be long-term beneficial to our business. PPP, your healthcare in, volume increases, your staffing clients surging right now, that's great for now, but, but it's not a sustainable long-term play for us. So we need to fundamentally rethink how we operate, how we fulfill, and and most importantly, how we communicate and present ourselves to the market. There's hundreds of CRAs out there now worried about their future. The ones who capitalize on some of these principles are are the ones who are gonna make it out stronger. Everything's on the table, right? Sacred cows aren't sacred. Clients and organizations are not, excuse me, clients and employees are not and will not be loyal beyond the benefit to themselves, their families, their organizations. And, and that's things to say and it's things to hear, but sometimes we kind of need to remember that and we need to we need to say it out loud. Why are we doing it this way? Is it is it still value? This this speaks to those legacy processes, those unlimited verification attempts for $9.25. And, and even today, you may have that client who says, yep, I still want it, but be really sure about the stability of that relationship. Because I'm betting someone somewhere in the organization doesn't like the added time it's taking. So we need to consider who's saying that to us. Is it the admin? Is it the VP of HR? Because if it's the admin, I'm betting the VP, you know, that's your day-to-day contact. I'm betting VP of HR would rather have 88% fulfilled in three days than 92% fulfilled in six. And if I'm a competitor, I'm finding that VP of HR, I'm finding that person who prefers the 88% world. And I'm hitting you over the head with it from a competency standpoint. So fair or not, right or not, you know this is an example, that turnaround time will be used against you in the marketplace. Now, if it's the VP of HR who says, do six days, man, yeah, you're in the clear, right? Disregard everything I just said. But chances are it isn't. And that will be found by somebody during the sales process. And and I think they're going to use it against you. So it's a lot of risk for me. Because that that leads to the final point. I I don't know how many of of the special one-off things we do are valued relative to either the cost you incur, the hardship it places on an employer. You're doing an extra thing one out of a hundred times to make sure that the bad thing doesn't happen one time or the process doesn't skip one time. You know, we just kind of need to filter this into the overall relationship, especially when we think about the army of salespeople that are gonna be coming after our client basis. You know, yeah, they, they may be asked for it, they may be demanded, but and especially if you're not charging for it, 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 it's just something to kind of consider. I'm, I'm not imploring, employee, or excuse me, I'm not imploring everyone here to raise prices right now. <laughs> I'm not imploring people to unilaterally cut process steps without client buy-in but but I do think there's a middle ground where you can explore communicate changes but but we have to you know we need to always show the value to the client of course but there's ways you can identify a client solution that solves their problem just as well and can make you a little more money you know because we have to remember winning isn't just more revenue winning isn't always getting the business for a dollar less winning is achieving your, your organizational goals which of course can in our financial, but often it's, we're gonna strategically reposition ourselves. Uh, We're gonna diversify our client base. So maybe we're not so exposed next time. We wanna reposition from a messaging vantage point. So we're we're attracting new and different leads to us. And and back to the diversification idea, you know, maybe we we wanna be not so heavily concentrated in one industry or it's really risky. We have one client that's 30% of our business. And, and you'd be surprised how many CRAs have one client that's 30% of their business. So if you listen to this, you're, you're not alone. A lot of us have that client. Just just make sure it's valued before we continue to do these things. So sales and marketing, man. I, we could do an hour just on this, but we'll we'll go quick. Partnership by press release. I, I, I just urge us to not fall into the trap of thinking that Uh, a new ATS partnership will result in a magical sales funnel. These partnerships are great. Don't get me wrong. They solve client problems. They help you They help the ATS. They're sticky. Like I said before, but these ATSs have partnerships with everybody. And, and, and worse, the reason I identify it is because a lot of time money and and high level organizational brainpower goes into this And, and it typically generates Less than stellar returns relative to other initiatives, relative to other things we can do with that time, money and, and brain power within our shop. All right, Father's Day. I, I, uh, there's, there's so much out there today, and yes, I appreciate a Happy Father's Day uh, mention, but you know, buyers are giving something a second before they decide whether to read it or not. And, and in that second, when you have them, we want to give them something that they value, something they can learn from, something that solves their problem. Wishing me a happy Father's Day or telling me you're close for the 4th of July. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't do it. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's like I, I'm struggling to say it, not because I don't feel passionately about it, but because I know these messages are so well intended. But I mean, if I had a nickel for every time, every email I get about Father's Day and Memorial Day and 4th of July, and, and you know it's just let's when when we communicate when we when we send our messages create our messages like let's be the shot that solves a problem all right we're screening we talked about this you know we just need to calibrate and and set proper expectations on what what new revenue will get you out and and what won't i don't think this is it and and when i talk about this cuz this is the second time it's come up i'm not saying it from the vantage point of negative 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 i'm saying it from the vantage point of my estimation, what I see, what I hear, what I think, and if I can share this guidance, then it allows us to kind of refocus our energies elsewhere. So it's not negative about it. I'm not trying to be glass half empty here. I'm pointing out the things that I think will be positive solutions for us and which ones are kind of traps for us to avoid. Okay, our talking points. How we see ourselves in the eyes of the market, what we say, how we say it, Um, like I said before, I'm a huge believer in our own abilities to persuade. And I can tell you firsthand, it's a lot cheaper and a lot more effective financially to teach people how to think and write and communicate than to spend the marketing dollars trying to, to say the same thing as someone else. Why? Because we're never gonna spend enough to really break through with the same messaging. Say something different, say something better. All right, stability of solutions, not not scope of services. All right, the, the last one. Let's describe our product in terms of the problem it fixes, like I said before, not the limitations of it. Uh, broadly speaking, and this point temporarily suspends some real compliance related principles, state of California, etc. But, but broadly speaking, I'm not a fan of a limited scope search, you know, a seven year look back. There's a lot of reasons why I won't, I won't go into a ton of depth here, but I, I found over 20 years, a lot of shops confuse the issue. Or if they don't confuse the issue, it's it's tough to translate to employers. Um, and yes, we want to be transparent. We want to be open. We need to disclose. But I think a lot of us, both on the CRA side and the employer side, confuse searching and reporting. Those are different things. So my point here is to say, just, just don't give competitors a wedge issue to, to hit you with. Okay. And and on the the final slide is on on how do we position ourselves to win? All these examples, you can flip to the other side of the equation, right? Winning isn't just taking, winning's protecting. Because I, I promise you, and as I've said, you know, here's the example I'm going to use. If you're Game of Thrones fans, you'll appreciate this. Winter is coming. The sales armies are coming for us. Okay. So from my perch, we're about to see a sales push like never before. And if you have a sales, strong sales force and you're listening, man, seize this opportunity. So, what do I mean? If, if I'm a sales leader or I'm an executive inside of a CRA and my business is down 30, 40, 50, 60%, I know some of that business is coming back, but I also know some of it won't. So, I can either accept the fact that my company is now 38% smaller or I can do something about it. And if I'm going to do something about it, that means I'm going to go hunting, which means I'm coming after you, I'm coming after your clients. I'm unleashing my army of salespeople. So let's flip it around. How can you take mine instead? Sales and marketing solutions we talked about, looking for KPIs, talking points, identifying inside your shop what you're really good at, and then taking that into the market. You can win by playing offense. You can win by playing defense. Let's try and win by doing both. Okay, margins. I just want your business really don't care if I used to be at 60% gross margin and I want to be in the future, but right now I can get the business at 42. If I can get it at 42, I'll take it I'll figure it out later. And and that's how we should all be thinking on this call because getting a piece of business at 42% strengthens you and weakens someone else at the same time. 42% six months ago, it was suboptimal for you. It probably didn't hurt the other shop either if you took the business. Now the tables are turned. I'll figure out how to bump up margin in 2021, but yeah, for now, I want it. All right, account reviews. Reviews are the first, second, and third best ways to protect your business in this time of crisis. If your competitors are unleashing their sales staffs, I want you to have been in their office, your client's offices, virtually speaking, two weeks earlier, demonstrating to that employer why you were their best friend yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow. I, I know there's a lot of people who, who've heard me say this before on a webinar or a podcast. I, I won't dive too much into that, but reviews are such a low cost, inexpensive solution with immense dividends. All right, and, and, and the last point, it ties into this account review principle. I'm not saying everything here is 100% spot on. We're gonna to get together New Year's Day and say I was right about everything, but I, I implore us to kind of, kind of buy this concept. This is not 2008. This is not an economy that over a 12, 18 month period slowly staggered into a recession and then fell off a cliff in in September, October, 2008, but then clawed back at 2.1% GDP growth for a couple of years. This thing fell off a cliff and and there's no soft landing. It's just how many bones are you gonna break when you hit the ground? That's why we're talking about this. So what did we cover today? And while the questions come in and and Dave reviews this, here's another look and we're gonna leave this up a little bit to to jog your memory. Uh, My kids wanna know um, (laughs) what questions you guys have. So Dave, what do we got?
0: Well, uh, first of all, I wanna thank everybody for attending. Uh, uh, That indeed concludes the main body of the webinar. And thanks to you, Kevin, always great uh, information. Um, as mentioned at the outset, we will open the floor to attendee questions now. Please type your question uh, to Kevin uh, and um, let's go ahead. We have a couple. And, that
1: have. and anything we don't get because I also got a couple separately on, on LinkedIn or just via email that you might I not just, have, yeah, Dave.
0: We just got one that came in here, Kevin. Cool. Uh, yeah,
1: and anything we don't get for anyone who has them, uh, we'll, we'll find you guys separately too. Sure.
0: What's the most effective way for CRAs to prospect employers today? Cold calls, emails, mailers, or partnerships?
1: I mean, the answer to all of them is kind of yes, relative to the talent inside of your business and your assessment of your own capabilities. Um, Cold calling is probably going to be the least effective. But if you have a hundred salespeople with automated dialers and, robust, you know, lead generating systems, then you're going to win some by just brute force. Right. Um, So that solution is really going to be specific to an individual shop. Um, For one shop it's the worst solution in the world. For the other, it's just, you know, going into the market with a, with with a hammer, you're going to, you're going to bang on your thumb a lot, but eventually you're going to get that nail into the wall. Um, The partnerships. Yeah, there's, there's, um, opportunities with that, even though I just said, hey, let's avoid partnerships by press release. So um, what do I mean when I seemingly contradict myself? Um, uh, Conexa, and I'll just pull them out of, out of thin air, right? Good company, but like we all have relationships with Conexa, but there's a hundred plus ETSs. So would I, you know, I uh, when I say avoid partnership by press release, it's you know, understanding I'm not going to get probably a ton of leads and referral business by being the 37th Connexa partner, but I might uh, by being the second or third partner with a different ATS that's smaller, maybe it's a more regional play or an industry-specific ATS. So partnerships, when I think of opportunities with partnerships, uh, I have no qualms about being the third best friend of somebody 20% 20% the size. I, I, I think that's a real opportunity for us. What were the other two, Dave? Oh,
0: well, we got another one that came in. Uh, oh, if
1: so, sorry. If there were, if there are two other um, parts to the question, I think there were four things, oh, cold right. calls, emails, and that might be one that, that we dig back up. Um, yeah, we're going to have to. Okay. All
0: right. Um, sorry about that. But the next one uh, actually came in during the during the presentation, awesome. Sorry, we didn't get to it beforehand. But uh, question is: Are employers still shopping? If so, via what channel?
1: I I, I think so. It's it's funny. Um, I think they're starting. I I think they're starting and or are about to start. Um, I don't think March, April, May, our clients were shopping. I think in March, April, May. Our clients and their HR teams were writing internal policies on what to do when their coworkers coughed on them. Um, so that was March and April. April and May was administering PPP. What do I do? This person doesn't want to come back to work. They're scared. What do they apply for? Difference between, differences between furloughs and layoffs. Um, May and now into June is that return to work stuff. Temperature screening. What do I do? Do I open the office? Do I not open the office? So Um, And and I know that because I read a lot of HR message board um, experts talking to experts, stuff, asking each other questions. So every day I'll get a couple emails with uh, 150 HR people that are talking to each other. And March, April, May, this is all they talked about. Um, You know, a year ago, you could have HR people talking about 20 different topics and I'm telling you for the last 90 days, 95% of their chatter has been about one topic as the calendar turns, this is when they're going to start saying to themselves, you know, like, hey, I, I haven't done vendor due diligence in 18 months. I've been really busy. Or their boss is going to come to them and say, hey, get me 9% you know, discount on my vendor spend. Start making some phone calls. So that, that leads into you know, the second half of the question. Where are they going to go? Are they going to get there? Uh, I, I think some of it is literally the Google machine background check vendor or its providers. So that's where, where I think about what's our messaging. How do we get in front and craft? Not so much for SEO purposes. I'm not saying that everybody's got to go spend $100,000 on SEO services, um, but I think they're going to—they're going to um, they're gonna ask their friends. They're going to ask their colleagues, either locally or within similar industries. Uh, they're going to do the Google machine. Um, they're going to think of people that they that they know or know of, but might not necessarily have a relationship with. So uh you know the people you met at the chamber of commerce the people you met at the trade show um, the rfp you got invited to where maybe you were a finalist but you didn't win uh maybe you did some demo searches there's a good but not great relationship but that's 12 18 months old those, those are some of the things to, to rekindle um and those are some of the ways i expect employers to start
0: finding us all right and um real quickly kevin to circle back around on the first question the four Different uh, methods that were put forth were cold calls, emails, mailers, and partnerships. Just okay.
1: Yeah. So um, uh, emails, you know, good, not great. Um, you know, if you use a service like Constant Contact or or MailChimp, you can identify what gets opened, what gets looked at. Um, you, you know, it's, 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 we're casting a wide net there. You know, we're not going to get all the fish. We just want. Um, you know, we want to set goals around what what. What um, what we want from it, I like um, email campaigns, digital marketing campaigns uh, a little more, and and I will I will suspend right now, you know, the SEO or the marketing agency spend, and, and I think of my wife in the other room right now who runs a a digital marketing communications agency, so um, you know I, I know what goes into that, but I, I think of the success of those campaigns relative to the cost. Um, it's funny because I have two personal examples with this story. So my wife does what I just described. My father was a commercial printer, so you know I start thinking about costs of marketing and collateral and cardstock and design and mailing and shipping. Um, I don't necessarily there's a there's a great rate of return, especially if the outreach is unsolicited. It's just another flyer. It's another piece of junk mail. Um, so like everything, you know, what's your expected return? relative to the time, cost and energy of putting it together. But if I had to, to rank them, I kind of think, um, um, you know, some of the, the partnership solutions, I talked about the, hey, I was the finalist for the RFP, but I didn't, I didn't win the business. Um, you know, those, those might be more effective. The personal networking, the chamber of commerce, people you've met at trade shows, those are probably gonna be a little more successful. The content that you create, put on your website, over time, you're going to be able to build up good followings there. Let's look at who's reading our stuff. Um, you know, and I, I I, know this. I mean, we all know this. I'll, I'll see very similar names on, on webinars. So look at stuff like that. Um, unless you're a large shop with a large sales team, cold calls, um, you know, that, that success is going to be a brute force, um, probably a less effective solution. And I put mailers at the bottom.
0: Okay. Next question. Uh, Did you utilize a third-party platform when you were a CRA?
1: I did. I did. I don't feel comfortable saying it, Um, but yeah, I've been on a third-party platform. I was on the same third-party platform for 15, 16 years, and it's still a platform that's, that's, that's in our space.
0: Okay. Now, next, uh, what are new ways CRA's can connect virtually now, as opposed to in person previously?
1: Can, can, can I go back to the? Let me, let me get back to the um, um, third-party platform because there's there's um, something that that I like to share, um, and um, a lot of us might not think about. Uh, I love inside the third-party platforms. It's you know whether it's your own system, one of the six or eight third-party platforms here. You know they're they're all designed to kind of solve the, the same purpose um, assembling consumer reports right but a not insignificant part of a platform whether it's your own or a third party has to be those business intelligence tools because running a back you know running a, a background check company and being in the background check you know business are, are sometimes two different things we can't ignore the need for back end business intelligence solutions to allow us to grab pieces of data that help us run our businesses better. Um, so, I'll work you know, with individual companies and ask questions that are kind of top of mind for me because my system had a really good back end. And if anyone wants to call me, I'm, I'm happy to, to share who it is privately. But, um, you know, just really, really, in my opinion, key metrics and KPIs that we need in our business counties per search, aliases per search components per verification that allow us to determine how do we sell, how do we price, how do we package, what resonates, are we making money, are we not making money. Um, A lot of shops, and depending on the system that they use, those really, really basic questions that we need answers for to be able to run a profitable background check system, you know, uh, sometimes I kind of get blank stares back at me. And that's okay because that's why we'll work together. We'll work together to try and figure it out. But if we have a system where it's really, really hard to get that, boy, we're kind of at a disadvantage. So um thanks for the extra 60 seconds on that, Dave.
0: And again, that uh that next question, what are the ways that CRAs can connect, connect virtually now as opposed to in person previously?
1: Yeah, it's um it, it's a question that everybody's thinking of and struggling with. And and I I you know hope hope this isn't the, the same, you know, bad answer that we're kind of all thinking about in our head. But I, I am seeing some really cool things with like virtual seminars, um, you know, virtual meetings. Um, now, you're saving a ton of money if you're a shop that would fly across the country for, for presentations and stuff or hop in a car, hotel rooms. You're, you're saving a ton of money not doing that stuff. But I am seeing some kind of really cool um, organizations being like, hey, from one to two o'clock on on this day, yeah, our, our leadership team is available and we're, we're doing either um, excuse me, you know, thought leadership stuff like this, or, Hey, ask us a question. We're all going to be hanging out. We're going to be doing virtual uh, networks, um, um, individual meeting rooms, but, but we're doing virtually kind of a way to bring, um, prospects or users into a situation. And I think one of the benefits is you can kind of give them a higher caliber leader, Um, you know, you, you might not get a executive hopping on a plane. To spend a day and a half back and forth to go lead with a prospect. But yeah, you know, a, a 20 minute, you know, one-on-one consult where we're talking about this, I think can be really, really effective. So um, in a lot of ways, it's taking kind of that same lead list or those same prospects that, that we talked a minute ago about identifying and, and giving them the the solution. And in many cases, maybe the, um, you know, the, the barrier is a little less for them. You know, they don't have to let somebody in the office. They don't have to, reserve an hour and a half of the day for the meeting. You know, it's a quick 20 minute connect, 30 minute connect. So um, I, I hope that was a, a good answer.
0: And Kevin, we're we're bumping right up against our hour here, but we got two questions that just came in cool. that are gonna kind of require you to dust off your crystal ball. Oh, okay. Um, just quick answers. Um, we should flag six
1: months from now. Let's to be respectful we'll of people's
0: answer. time. What products do you think will become more relevant or less relevant for employers?
1: Yeah, so that's a good one. I. I, I so, you know, I, I mentioned continuous monitoring and rescreening. And again, I love the products. I love the providers. I love the risk-it measures. Um, I'm not gonna dive into that again, but right the flip side, what will um seeing some real cool stuff with administrative solutions around COVID and, and return to work. Um, you know, and obviously we're we're consumer reporting agencies that provide consumer reports. So this isn't necessarily that, or doesn't fit neatly into that bucket. But I know a lot of shops and a lot of providers are looking for unique ways to, um, to offer some administrative solutions. You know, we're, we're, we, we help people put things in file cabinets, you know, virtual or physical file cabinets. We collect data and and we make that available to a lot of people that can use to run their business. So there's a temporary, you know, so there's kind of a natural lead to that. I compared to my, reporter example. People are like, well, you used to be a reporter. Why do you do this? And I said, well, same kind of thing. You know, you're, you're gathering information, you're collecting facts, you're telling a story. You're just not doing it in front of a microphone. You're doing it on a piece of paper. So this is kind of the same kind of thing. We're collecting information, we're making it available. So there's some shops and platforms I know that are trying to make those solutions available. Uh, in terms of what I consider our typical screening solutions, uh, I, I am a big fan of the low-cost Low probability of finding a record, but hugely impactful when you do find one. Um, Very high risk to the organization, huge penalties for non compliance. I'm thinking financial sanctions screening, Homeland Security screening, terrorist watch lists, um, you know, some of the the medical exclusions, you know, where, where you know, the, the OIG or the GSA are really, really going to come down on your clients for non-compliance um, or the terrorist watch list stuff. You know, these products that we can sell for a couple bucks. Um, and I also like it now because, and I'll, I'll riff a little bit on kind of the quality of screening, you know, clients whose volume has dropped means their total spend has also dropped. So you get some clients that always wanted to spend 50 bucks and, and never anymore. Okay, their volume just dropped and their revenue dropped accordingly. But maybe you got a lot of clients whose volume dropped 50%, their, their spend dropped 50%. And they used to want to, they used to tell you they wanted to spend more, they just couldn't afford it. They wanted to buy federals. They wanted to do more counties and they couldn't. Well, now they're not spending all that money. And and I get their revenue might have dropped, and it's not gonna be a, a proportional. Um, you know, increase. But you see what I'm getting at here. There's an opportunity for clients to do something a little bit better than maybe they couldn't have. Maybe they wanted to before, but couldn't before. And now they do, which is great because that's more revenue per you, for you per spend. But guess what happens when their volume isn't 50% minus anymore? And it goes back to normal. Now you're in an environment where their volume is a little more than normal. And now you're getting an extra $10 on background checks. Some
0: of those are products that I think close those gaps. All right, let's do the last one here, a 30-second response. I'm going to push you on this one, Kevin. I Anyone who knows me knows I've never done 30-second response. <laughs> okay, let's go. To your army of salespeople comment, how do I respond to clients who ask for price discounts after talking to a competitor?
1: So sometimes you just got to get to them, um, and I don't mean that like we got fold right away, but sometimes you can get something more out of it. Hey, can we re-up for another year, etc.? Like sometimes you don't want to, maybe you can't. And then we got to think of how do we say no? Uh, Sometimes it's okay. What's that product look like? Is it apples to apples? Um, Hey, this product is 10% cheaper, but we've been partners for 10 years. So you're comfortable telling me what that offering is. Let's look at it. It's 10% cheaper on price, but wow, it's 50% cheaper on components or depth or quality. So in some cases, you got to do it. You got to give the discount to try and get something for it. And in other cases, let's look to see, what's different that you can use as justification for for holding firm. That was 29 seconds. I think we did good on that.
0: That was fantastic. (laughs) All right. That's going to conclude it, everybody. We really thank you for your time. Kevin, as always, pleasure. Hope you all have a great rest of the week and a safe weekend.
1: Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend.